It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thanks for Sports Network listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Call Sheet, a podcast that takes a look at the NFL partially through the eyes of coaches, but also through the eyes of fans. A nice mix between trying to analyze the sport from a professional perspective and just trying to talk about what's going on. I'm your host, Kevin Smith, podcaster here at the Fans First Sports Network, uh, at the Steel Curtain Network, high school football coach in the state of New Jersey. Thrilled to be with you guys for episode 35, 35 episodes now of our podcast. We're going to be we're going to be at a year before we know it and that'll be exciting. Episode 52, we'll see we'll see what player we we decide to profile when we get that far. But today, we are at episode number 35 and as we do to start every show, we'll pick a player who wore that number to profile and this week that player is Christian Okoye, the Nigerian nightmare. What a great nickname. So for those Younger fans who may not remember Christian Okoye, I don't know if I can give you an accurate description of him. Picture a really big linebacker playing running back, determined to simply smash through people. Christian Okoye was six foot one, 260 pounds. He ran the 40 in 4.48 seconds. Let that sink in for a moment. Six one, 260 running a 44840, playing it at a time when shoulder pads sort of resembled the landing deck of an aircraft carrier. I think you could probably have landed 
a small plane on Christian Okoye's shoulder pads. He was a nightmare to tackle, thus the nickname the Nigerian Nightmare. And as that nickname may suggest, he was from Nigeria. Christian Okoye, born in Nigeria, didn't come to the United States until he was 21 years old. Uh, and he went to Azusa Pacific College, where he enrolled there in 1983 as, of all things, a soccer player. He was he was a soccer player. I, can you imagine a soccer player that big and that fast? He'd never played American football before. He was a track star and a soccer player, started out at Azusa Pacific playing soccer. But then a really interesting thing happened. Okoye, as a Nigerian citizen, tried to uh, qualify for the Olympics for Nigeria in track and field, and they simply denied him the opportunity to try out. The Nigerian government declined Okoye for the Olympics, and so he came back to America and decided to try football, a, a sport that he said that he was sort of bored with at first. Uh, but but gradually grew to love the contact and went on to be a dominant player at Azusa Pacific, which is a, a small Division II school on the West Coast. He was eventually drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs in the second round in 1987 and would go on to lead the NFL in rushing in 1989, first-team All-Pro, a couple Pro Bowl appearances. Career was cut pretty short by some knee injuries. But he had a four or five year run there in the late 80s, early 90s, where he may have been the scariest running back in the NFL. And, and he was particularly scary because of his running style. Okoye once once said said to himself, he said uh, his style was to to never run around anyone, but instead to run through them. I mean, Ron Jaworski uh, once said about Okoye, if the play is 44 Bob which means the four back running to the four hole with a lead blocker. Okoye was hitting the four hole, whether there was one defender there or 10. He did not cut. He simply plowed straight ahead. And then I, I saw uh, I saw an episode of, uh, of America's Game, which if you ever had a chance to see any of those episodes uh, where they do like uh, player profiles and, uh, and they did one on Okoye. And uh, they interviewed Ice Cube, the rapper. And Ice Cube was talking about a conversation he'd had with Deion Sanders back in the early 1990s when Okoye was playing. And he asked Deion, you know, what's it like when you're coming up to tackle Okoye in, in the opening field or in the open field? And he's lowering his shoulder at you. And Deion paused and shook his head and he said, hey, man, that's when you make a business decision. And if you know anything about Deion, that business decision was pretty much to throw his pads at the ground and let Mr. Okoye on by. Uh, I, I just remember watching Christian Okoye uh, run for those Kansas City teams in the late 80s, early 90s. They were all power football oriented. They had Dave Craig at quarterback. Okoye, at the end of his career, he had Joe Montana as his quarterback. Uh, they were physical smash mouth football teams. And I think that Okoye was probably the perfect running back for those Marty Schottenheimer three yards and a cloud of dust offenses that you got in Kansas city at the time. I don't know, you know how much Okoye would resonate in today's NFL. He was, he was a little bit like Derrick Henry, only bigger and less elusive. Derrick Henry can make people miss in the open field. Okoye 
didn't want to make anyone miss. He simply wanted to run through people. And so for that, he was a great throwback player and a guy worthy of remembering. Number 35, the Nigerian nightmare, Christian Okoye. Glad to, glad, glad we came upon the number 35 so I could revisit a little bit of his career because he was one of my favorites to watch. All right, so moving on, right? Here, here's what we're going to focus on in, in, uh, in today's show. We're going to focus on some of the things we've learned from this NFL season. And really, we're going to look at three things. What are, what are three lessons that we're learning may, that are maybe not totally specific to this NFL season, but, but are being emphasized? What are three things that have become clear about the NFL revealed by this 2023 season? Man, it's been a crazy one. Just on Monday night, if you watched the, the two Monday night football games, you saw two really interesting contests where two teams in playoff contention, right? First, the Green Bay Packers, uh, who lost in New York to the resurgent Giants. And I say resurgent only, I'm not mockingly doing it so, Tommy DeVito the walk-on free agent quarterback uh, has now really kind of rallied the Giants. He's an interesting story. We'll talk about him in a minute. But, they, you know, they go down uh, to the Giants, and then, shockingly, the Tennessee Titans come back from 14 down with a little over three minutes remaining to beat the Miami Dolphins in Miami as Miami is vying for a number one seed. Those two games probably underscore this entire season. It has been so unpredictable. It's been so difficult to try to anticipate what's going to happen that, you know, it's really hard to make prognostications or try to forward uh, to what's next. So instead, let's look behind us rather than try to predict what's next, because who knows? Let's look at what, at what we've seen already and what we can learn from it. So so I'm going to start with this. One, one thing we've really learned from 2023 is that the key to success is keeping your quarterback healthy. Now, that is not unique to the 2023 season. That's something I think we've known for a while in the NFL. But the degree to which that lesson has been enforced this year is extreme. I'm going to give you, I'm going to read a complete list right now of the teams in the NFL whose starting quarterbacks are yet, yet to miss a game this year. All right, here we go. In the AFC, that list includes Buffalo, Miami, Baltimore, Jacksonville, Kansas City, and Denver. That's it, six teams. And in the NFC, that list includes Dallas, Philadelphia, Detroit, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, and San Francisco. Again, six teams. So that's it. There's just 12, 12 out of the 32 NFL teams whose starting quarterbacks are yet to miss a game. And that includes Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville, who probably should have missed last week with an ankle injury. And as a result, he turned in his worst game of the year throwing three interceptions in a loss to the Browns. Okay, that list that I just read, again, Buffalo, Miami, Baltimore, Jacksonville, Kansas City, Denver in the AFC, Dallas, Philly, Detroit, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, San Francisco in the NFC. The combined records of those 12 teams is 99 and 56. That's a 64% uh, winning percentage. The combined records of the other 20 teams who have all had to either bench because of injury or poor play, their starting quarterback at some point this season. The combined record of those 20 teams, 114 and 165. That's a 41% winning percentage. So T. 
Teams that have kept the quarterback healthy all year are winning about 65% of their games. Teams that have not are winning about 40% of their games. And interestingly, those 12 teams I read, that could be the playoff field. That could be the entire playoff field. It's quite possible that Buffalo, who's on the outside of the picture right now, and Denver, also on the outside of the picture, both at seven and six, could qualify because there's six seven and six teams in the AFC and Miami, Baltimore, Jacksonville, and Kansas city. If thing, if the season ended today, they'd all be in. And in the NFC, Dallas, Philly, Detroit, Tampa, and San Francisco, they'd all be in as well. Only green Bay at six and seven, who's who currently is the number eight seed and would only have to move up one spot would be out. So it's really fascinating. We could actually see a scenario where the team, all the teams that have kept their quarterback, their starting quarterback healthy all season long, they're the playoff teams. Uh, and and that, you know, given the fact that there's 14 overall teams, just two others would get in. But every single team whose quarterback stayed healthy would be in. That is really fascinating. So what about those teams that have been forced to play their backups? Who's done well? I mean, in the short term, Minnesota got some good play from Josh Dobbs, but the Vikings just announced that, that he will not start anymore. They're going to replace him for their week 15 game. I mean, the Bengals have gotten some decent play from Jake Browning. And you know the ghost of Joe Flacco arose from the dead to lead the Browns to a big win on Sunday. And I mentioned Tommy DeVito in New York. The Giants are really getting solid play from him. And his family, by the way, which was great for television on Monday night. I just, get, I just have a feeling... You're going to get more and more of them. We're probably going to reach a saturation point with the DeVito family. They are like perfect for television. Uh, and I mean, who knows? We may even get a Tommy Cutlets reality TV show out of that. So be prepared to get sick of the DeVito family fairly soon, especially if New York keeps winning. But, uh, you know, hey, a, a quick side note, by the way, about the Giants winning over Green Bay. I'll share this quick anecdote, anecdote with you. My son, who's 10 years old and a Detroit Lions fan, he told me on Monday that one of the teachers at, at his school was busting his chops because the Lions lost to the Bears. And, and that teacher's a Packers fan. So yesterday morning when my son saw that Green Bay had lost to the Giants on Monday night, he told me he was going to come back at that teacher by saying, yeah, well, at least my team didn't lose to a quarterback who still lives with his parents. If you don't know, that's Tommy DeVito. Tommy DeVito still lives with his parents. So I thought that was a pretty good burn. I was kind of proud of my son for coming up with that one. But that's really it, man. That's the list, right? You've got uh, Dobbs, who played okay, but it's now on the bench. you got Browning, who's done all right. Flacco, who had one big win. you got DeVito. A couple other guys have, have, have shown up for a week or two, but then sort of you know regressed. Uh, as they play like, you know, the role that they really are. They're kind of backup guys. I mean, everybody else is getting the type of play you'd expect from backup quarterbacks. And honestly, no one really expects long-term success from any of the players I just mentioned. DeVito's a great story, but I don't think he's going to pilot New York's offense for the next 10 years. I don't think he's a long-term starter. I don't think Browning is or Dobbs. I mean, Flacco was, and he may have a great game or two in him still, but against an elite defense that can blitz and cover, I really don't think so. So here's the interesting thing. How do you keep your starter healthy? I mean, that's a crapshoot. You never know when a guy's going to get rolled up on in the pocket, land funny when he takes a hit. I mean, then there's the Joe Burrow injury. That's the scariest one of all, the non-contact injury to the throwing arm. I mean, it's kind of a twisted little lottery when 
when you can do everything right all season long to put yourself in great position and then boom, like just like that, one play changes it all. So the bottom line is this. It's nearly impossible to win big in the NFL if your starter goes down. The Eagles did it in 2017 with Nick Foles. And the Giants did it way back when with Jeff Hostetler, the Redskins with Doug Williams. That's about it. Otherwise, if your starter gets hurt, your championship aspirations are over. And this is not new information, and we've been aware of this for years. But 2023, a season where 20 of the league's 32 teams has had to play a backup quarterback for whatever reason, that lesson's really being enforced in dramatic fashion. All right, lesson number two. Here's, a, here's another thing that we, we're learning or, or, or we're, we're seeing emphasized in the 2023 season, and that's this, that organizational stability usually creates positive culture and that that, in turn, breeds success. So that's going to be our topic when we come back from our break. We're going to talk about how organizational structure and stability creates successful franchises and who are we seeing that from in the 2023 season and who are we seeing the opposite from, the instability creating chaos. And among those stable franchises, which franchise appears to be in the best shape on the field right now in the NFL? That'll be our conversation when we come back from the break. So please join us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. 
No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to the call sheet. Kevin Smith with you. Hey, some quick housekeeping before we get on with it here in part two of the program. Uh, obviously, this this program is called The Call Sheet, but if you subscribe to our Steel Curtain Network YouTube channel, for those of you who are Steelers fans out there, you can see some of the video breakdowns I've been doing over the past month of Steelers games. They're under the title Call Sheet Breakdowns. The one that just went up the other day breaks down uh, some of Pittsburgh's offensive struggles against the New England Patriots. And, and looks at really where the Steelers might make improvement going forward. And as we get closer to the playoffs, I'm going to start doing those same breakdowns for our FFSN NFL page on the league in general. So if you get an opportunity, hop on over to YouTube and check some of those videos out. Man, I really enjoy doing those. I really like being able to dig into the film. It's a great opportunity for me to just put a little bit of, of what I've learned over 30 some years of coaching to use and, and just to talk to people about the way the game works, the, the wonderful chess match that is professional football and just look a little bit uh, at the scheme and dive in there. So you got a chance, man, hop on over there and check it out. All right, let's pick up where we left off before the break. We were talking about things that we've learned from this NFL season. A really interesting NFL season. And our first major point was uh, emphasized how essential it is to keep your quarterback healthy. That the 12 teams that have managed to do so are winning games at about a 65% clip. While the 20 teams who have not or who have had to replace their starters for some reason are only winning about 40% of their games. And here in in the second big takeaway, we're going to look at organizational stability and at how that that usually creates a positive culture, which tends to breed success. So I'm kind of thinking about a couple teams as I, as I delve into this topic. One is the Carolina Panthers, who fired their head coach, uh, Frank Reich, a, little, a few weeks ago. And the Panthers are now working on six head coaches in the six years since David Tepper took over as their owner. The other other franchise I'm thinking about are the Las Vegas Raiders, who also fired their head coach, Josh McDaniels, earlier in the season. They've had now eight head coaches since 2011 when Mark Davis took over as their owner. And we'll give you one more, the Cleveland Browns, who have had eight head coaches since 2009. The Browns have just one playoff win in that stretch where they've been extremely quick on the trigger as far as replacing their head coaches are concerned. When you, when you look at those teams uh, and you look at, at, at the lack of success that they've had, you have to link it to some of the organizational instability organizations that are unstable and that, and that constantly go through change. They never really get to plant the seeds from which you can grow a positive culture within your organization. The Panthers, for example, 
have the second worst record in the NFL since Tepper took over in 2018. I mean, Tepper is a guy who, who made his money in the hedge fund markets. Uh, that's generally not a patient marketplace. That's a marketplace where people have to be quick to get in and get out and in order to make their money. And, and Tepper's applied that same philosophy to the Panthers, but it doesn't necessarily work when you're talking about a professional sports franchise, particularly the NFL, where with just 16, now 17 games each season, you've got to be able to have a coaching staff in place that can develop a distinct plan. So much of the NFL is about planning. It's not like the other sports where you're playing 80 some games a year, or if it's baseball, 160 some games a year, you play one game a week for the better part of four months. And you got to have the ability to scheme properly, scheme well, uh, have your players know exactly what they're doing so they can execute at a high rate. And when there's continual coaching turnover, it gets really hard to develop the culture and the familiarity that breeds success. The Raiders are in the same boat. Since Mark Davis took over, they're 79 and 115 with no playoff wins, no playoff wins since Mark Davis became their owner in 2011. They had some stability there for about five years with Derek Carr as their starting quarterback. But in the in the seven seasons where Carr was not the primary starter since Davis took over, they've had 12 starting quarterbacks. That's another recipe for disaster when you have a revolving door at the quarterback position. And Cleveland, which has found some stability since Kevin Stefanski was named the head coach, and honestly, I think Stefanski's doing a heck of a job uh, leading the Browns this year. The, the Browns have won games with four different starting quarterbacks this year. That's incredible. But we'll see if it lasts because history suggests that Cleveland is a notoriously volatile organization. And again, eight head coaches since 2009 and just one playoff win. Steelers fans, I'm sure you remember what that was. Uh, one playoff win over that time. If you contrast that then to some of the more stable franchises in the league, the difference is glaring. In New England, I mean, obviously, Bill Belichick's been at the helm there for over 20 years. And their, their run of success was obvious. And, and, you know, it appears that Belichick may be at the end of that run. But still, the stability of having Belichick in place for all those years led to unprecedented success in New England. Something similar in Pittsburgh and Baltimore, where Mike Tomlin and John Harbaugh have both been on the job now for the better part of 15, 17 years, respectively. Tomlin's won a Super Bowl. Harbaugh's won a Super Bowl. Tomlin's never had a losing season. The Steelers have had three head coaches in my lifetime. I'm over 50 years old, so three head coaches in over 50 years. The Ravens are year in and year out one of the most competitive teams in the NFL. I think a lot of that can be linked to the fact that they don't have much turnover at their head coaching position. The Philadelphia Eagles have had just four head coaches since 1999. All four of those head coaches have winning records. They've been in the mix whether it's in the playoffs or, or contention for a championship 
in almost every year since that time. And, and, in, and in Kansas City, obviously, Andy Reid, who's been at the helm there for the last 11 years, has done excellent work and, and obviously turned them into to a perennial contender. Most of those teams remain strong. I mean, the Steelers are struggling a little bit now. They've had a couple of really, uh, really sad losses the last two weeks to some bad football teams. But Tomlin's done an excellent job keeping them relevant as the Steelers transition out of the Ben Roethlisberger era into whatever is next. I mean, Belichick, again, probably at the end of his run, but, but his run, like we said, was just unparalleled. Philadelphia, Kansas City, Baltimore, they're all going to be Super Bowl contenders uh, this season, and they have been for the last several seasons. I mean, some of those situations, the head coaches benefited tremendously from having a Hall of Fame quarterback. Belichick had Brady for all those years. Tomlin had Roethlisberger. But in others, the system has created the success. Reed built a playoff contender in Kansas City before Mahomes arrived. I mean, he was he was going deep into the playoffs with Alex Smith. Harbaugh won won a Super Bowl pre Lamar Jackson. The Eagles have been successful with a host of quarterbacks. I mean, the thing that all these teams have created, more so than simply acquiring good players, is a culture. And you know, culture can be hard to define, but generally speaking, it shows up in the expectations that organizations create for everyone involved. When you have stability in your organization. You can then establish in your players a level of expectation for how they practice, how they attend films, their demeanor in the film room, their demeanor in the locker room, how they address the media, how they handle young players, new players. I mean, culture is more than just a word. Culture is a mindset. And the best franchises establish that mindset from day one, because they know who they are. They have an identity. They know what they want to be, and they know what they expect from their players. When you're, when your head coach or your ownership group is changing hands constantly, your general manager is changing hands constantly, how do you ever establish that? So I think with the volatility of some of these organizations and, and you know what we've seen from Carolina and the Raiders this year specifically versus some of those teams that have stayed the course, suggests that organizational stability usually creates positive culture, which breeds success. And we're seeing that again in 2023. All right. What's our third big takeaway? I think our third big takeaway is this. And I don't know. I don't know if it, I think it's something we suspected going into the season. And then we questioned it for a little bit, but now over the last couple of weeks, I think it's back and it's crystal clear. And that is this. The San Francisco 49ers are the best team in the NFL. They are the Super Bowl favorite, and they're the team to beat. And they are another team that values stability. San Francisco went through some turnover in the early 2000s, but since they've landed on Kyle Shanahan as their head coach in 2017, that organization has flourished. And so let's take a look at at some of the reasons as to why, right? Why? Why are the San Francisco 49ers uh, so successful and why is their culture so remarkable and, and really one that, that other teams are seeking to emulate? Well, in short, talent is a big deal, obviously. And let's not bury the lead. The 49ers are loaded in terms of talent. 
I mean, just on the offensive side of the ball, Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Kyle Ushak, Trent Williams, Brock Purdy, who, again, go from Mr. Irrelevant to a guy now being talked about as an MVP candidate. The talent in and of itself didn't seem to be there, but the way that they developed that talent has been remarkable. I mean, on the defensive side of the ball, you got guys like Nick Bosa, Javon Hargrave, Chase Young now, Fred Warner, Dre, uh, uh, Dre Greenlaw. I mean, man, they're loaded. They're loaded. They may, they, they may be the most talented team in the NFL. But that in and of itself doesn't create great culture and great success. You have to, you have to pair that with other elements. One of those elements is coaching. Obviously, Shanahan is, is regarded as one of the best coaches in the NFL. He's got a system that he believes in, a system that works. More so than that, Shanahan's got an ability to teach that system to his players that I think is as effective as any coach in the NFL. One of the things that coaches have to remember is this. It's not what you know that counts. It's what your players can execute. And there have been plenty of coaches in this league who have been tremendous with the X and O's, but haven't been able to get their players to, to do it. I think, I think about Mitchell Trubisky, who now is the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who was taken second overall in the draft a few years back by the Chicago Bears, got to the Bears, was thrust right into the starting lineup where the head coach was Matt Nagy, who was also the play caller. And one of the big criticisms you heard about the Nagy-Trubisky relationship was from Nagy's standpoint that he couldn't get Trubisky to execute the offense. But from Trubisky's standpoint, that Nagy never dumbed it down. That's, a, that's a, probably the wrong way to say it, but never cre- made the system accessible enough to a rookie who was struggling to, to execute it properly and understand it. Nagy's inability to get his scheme to translate to Trubisky in a way that allowed Trubisky to be successful was problematic. And I think in some ways that's the problem Matt Canada ran into in Pittsburgh. I didn't see Canada able to teach the scheme in an effective way that allowed Kenny Pickett and also Trubisky to flourish. Now, some of that onus is on the player. But when you look at Pittsburgh's offense, they've got guys open in their passing game. They leave plays on the field all the time. And for me, the reason you do that is either the player can't do it or the coach isn't teaching it in a way that allows the player to have success. And I think that it's probably a little more that element with, with coaches like Canada and Nagy in combination perhaps with the player. But then you look at San Francisco and you say, well, how's a guy like Purdy, the last overall pick in the draft, Mr. Irrelevant, able to come in and, you know, in just a year and a half emerge as an MVP candidate. It's because Shanahan can coach the system in a way that allows the players to flourish. So what of that system, right? San Francisco's offense has now caught up to its, its vaunted defense. Everybody understood San Francisco had a great defense, but their offense now has caught up. They're second in the NFL in points per game. What are they doing exceptionally well that makes them so hard to defend? They're, they're, I mean, they, they've, they've been effective at using horizontal stretches in their offense for years now. Jet sweeps, perimeter screens, the outside zone run play. 
uh, that's the kind of stuff that has allowed their athletes to get into space and do some damage. But they're pairing that this year with vertical stretches. San Francisco uh, is, uh, well, Purdy, I should say, has the highest completion percentage in the NFL on passes that travel more than 30 yards in the air. San Francisco's seventh in the NFL in air yards per attempt, which is really remarkable when you consider the fact they're still throwing all those perimeter screens. They're still dinking and dunking the ball and getting the ball to their athletes in space early and letting them run after the catch. Shanahan addressing the media after their win over Seattle last week said, one of the things that 49ers are doing well is they're creating big plays off of little plays. And so, yes, while they're, while they're throwing the ball down the field really effectively, it's not at the expense of some of the, the horizontal concepts that have allowed them to be successful. Take the first play of the game in their game last week against Seattle. On the very first play from scrimmage, Christian McCaffrey takes a toss sweep play 70-some yards down to the four-yard line, and they score on the very next play. And one of the things that makes that play work, and this is another aspect of what makes San Francisco successful, buy-in. They're getting buy-in from everybody on their roster. So one of the things that made that McCaffrey play successful was the blocking of wide receiver Brandon Ayuk. That ball, again, toss sweep to the left, McCaffrey, makes a, a cut up the field. He gets great blocking at the line of scrimmage. George Kittle, awesome block, runs his, his uh, outside linebacker out of the play. Trent Williams, same deal, pins the, the edge player to allow McCaffrey to turn the corner. But when McCaffrey turns the corner and he gets into the opening, he's now in a foot race against one of the defensive backs from Seattle. And so you see that D-back chasing McCaffrey down the field. And then from the edge of the screen, you see Brandon Ayuk, number 11, come flashing into the screen, sprinting full speed. He's trailing McCaffrey. He could easily jog after this play and just cheer McCaffrey on. But he's sprinting just in case, just in case McCaffrey might need a block. And sure enough, at about the 15-yard line, McCaffrey kind of puts on the brakes and lets that Seattle defender, who looks like he's going to catch him, kind of coast by him. And as McCaffrey cuts back to the middle of the field, here comes Ayuk sprinting past McCaffrey to pick up that Seattle defender and allow McCaffrey to make another seven, eight yards before he's caught from behind. It's a hustle play, and McCaffrey acknowledges it right away. He jumps up, and he immediately goes over to Ayuk, and he high-fives him, and you can see the excitement in Ayuk. You can see how excited he is that he helped make that block just to get an extra seven, eight yards from McCaffrey at the end of that run. That kind of buy-in is what inevitably creates culture. And that kind, that culture in San Francisco, we're talking about a team with five Super Bowl trophies in their lobby, right? They've got a history. And Kyle Shanahan's aware of it. And Kyle Shanahan, I'm sure, is preaching to that team that uh, you know, the expectation is to win Lombardi's, not, not to have a winning record, not to make the playoffs, to win Lombardi's. And it's the little things. It's the little things that allow you to be successful at that level. So Brandon Ayuk's block, 60 yards down the field from the line of scrimmage, is a little thing that in the bigger picture is emblematic of why the San Francisco 49ers are so successful. They've got the talent. They've got the coaching. They have a great system in place. Everybody buys into the system. 
And, and, and that team right now is playing six-second football, what I like to call six-second football. They're playing as hard as they can from snap to whistle. The average NFL play lasts six seconds, and they're giving everything you got, everything they got for those six seconds. So right now, man, lesson number three in this NFL season, the best team in the league is the Niners, and there's lots of reasons as to why that is, and, it, and, and much of it, Despite the talent, despite the coaching, all that, much of it comes back to culture. Culture is a really underrated concept in the game of football. All right, man. Hope everybody enjoyed the show. It's been another uh, really interesting week in the league. Week 15 is on tap. The playoff picture is jammed up in both conferences. You got a whole bunch of teams vying for those wild card spots. You got some teams at the top that, in the NFC, right, maybe San Francisco, the favorite. Dallas looking great. Philadelphia still obviously one of the best teams. They've gone through a, a brutal stretch of their schedule. And over in the AFC, Baltimore seems to be emerging as the favorite. Hard to say who else will emerge. I'll tell you what, man. If we get a Baltimore-San Francisco Super Bowl, that's going to be something. That's going to be a heck of a game. And, you know, obviously as a Steeler fan, I'd love I'd love the, the Steelers to be there, but I'm kind of realistic. Uh, it doesn't appear that they're on pace. So if I'm rooting for a great game, a Baltimore-San Francisco Super Bowl would be fun to watch. But we got a lot of football to play before we get to that. Anything could happen. Both those teams have to keep their quarterbacks healthy. So we'll see how it all plays out. All right, everybody, have a great week. We'll catch you next week for Episode 36 of The Call Sheet. Take care. <laughs>